something to say. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love, which is out on Kindle, paperback, and, if you're ever so inclined, as a podcast. Just search Mask of the Gods in your favorite podcast app, and if it's not there, go to anchor.fm slash maskofthegods and recommend that we put it on your app because I need to know where people are listening. I think we've done a pretty good job of getting it just about everywhere podcasts are, but if I've missed your favorite app for some reason, please let me know. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about, well, all three How to Train Your Dragon movies and the series Race to the Edge, which is available on Netflix. Because as much as I love the How to Train Your Dragon movies, I did not get to the Pain Palace to watch it when it was in the theater, so I only just saw How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And I loved it. It was so good. But we're going to be talking about that, and there will probably be spoilers for, you know, all of that in today's episode. So if you do not want to be spoiled, then you have been warned. But before we get into all of that, just let me ask if you haven't already, if the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this podcast or the episode itself, please do so. That helps me out a lot. It tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people, and that is a good thing. It helps build the community up so we can have better, deeper, and richer conversations. Thank you for rating us. Especially to everybody who's done it on Apple Podcasts. We now have enough ratings to actually have a star rating again. Woohoo! And thank you to everybody who gave me a five star. You're awesome. You rock. So, let's get into this. Spoilers are incoming in five, four, three, two, one. I am mature enough and comfortable enough in myself and my identity as a person to admit that I wept at the end of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. It was a really good movie. It was a powerful story, and it was something that you very rarely see in American animation. In fact, this entire series has been very surprising. And if you want to watch it in order, it's um, How to Train Your Dragon, then How to Train Your Dragon Race to the Edge, which is the TV series that they did, that gets progressively better as it goes on to the point where it's just phenomenal at the end. Then um, we have How to Train Your Dragon 2, and then How to Train Your Dragon or, um, Hidden World. And that's the progression. There, there were a couple other things like Legends and whatnot, but you can throw in some of those other DreamWorks series if you wish, but definitely, if you're into this sort of thing, Race to the Edge 
was a very good series. It was remarkably well written. You you have to turn off parts of your brain because it is definitely a kids show where you know they they fight with dragons and nobody is well people are rarely maimed and harmed because of the dragon fire. But you know dragons are so rare to find in media and done in a way that's fun and interesting that I'm willing to turn off those parts of my brain that are wanting more adult stakes just to get me some dragons. But one of the most amazing things that happens in the series is that it is a series with consequences. The fact that Hiccup loses a leg and it they don't find, you know, he, yes, builds himself a prosthetic leg but it actually factors in to some of the threats that follow. The same with Toothless's tail. There is a cost for the actions that they take. There is a problem that is built over time. And through the movies and the series, watching these characters grow and develop and become adults because that that to me was just the most amazing thing about watching the last one is how well they had aged all of the characters over time so you you really understand that they are young adults now and they actually told a much more mature story in how to train your dragons three while at the same time finding a way to keep that lighthearted humor and that childish glee and wonder that made the series so good while shedding some of the naivete that they had incorporated into the series up to this point because we were still dealing with kids. I mean, you see some of that wash off in the second movie, but it's, it's gone in the third and we really do see these characters coming into their own and developing as the adults that they're going to be. And especially with some of the tricky decisions that they had to make to get this movie made. One of the more interesting choices was bringing in Justin Ruppel to take over the character of Tough Nut after, you know, T.J. Miller got me too'd. And they did a really good job in that when I first heard his voice, I was confused and thought that they had brought T.J. Miller back. And over time, he really takes over the character and makes it more of his own. And in some ways, it worked better than having the same actor come back. Because it allowed Tough Nut's character to sound like he matures over the film in a way. Because as Justin is taking over the character and really starting to put more of his own flair into it and not just, you know, replaying the type of voice acting that we would have expected from the, you know, first couple films in the series. It, it, it felt like Tough Nut matured. And that's, that's a fun thing to see happen when you have a choice like this where you have to replace a character, um, actor. But it worked really well, seeing m most of the cast completely come back 
for this and getting this wonderful experience where the flashbacks, I mean, oh my goodness, the, the flashbacks between Hiccup and his father, seeing little boy Hiccup and, you know, it just, oh my goodness, it, it was powerful. It really made the story feel like a conclusion because one of the problems when you have flashbacks in a sequel or in a follow-up, it feels like you're trying to retcon something. And in a way they are, because the idea of the hidden world had not been completely seeded throughout. You get this idea, especially in the Race to the Edge show, which was made in the lead-up between... Even though it takes place between the first and second films, it was made between the second and the thirds. And the third... It keeps hinting that there is a homeworld for the dragons. There is a place where the dragons came from. And the whole point of the series is them trying to find a way to keep the dragons safe. Which, of course, is the point of this film. But in getting these flashbacks where we're getting all this backstory about how the history of the world works and this idea that there was and is a land where the dragons come from and where they are safe from humans, where they're not going to be in danger constantly. That's a wonderful thing to put in and it really does make the story work. But it could, it really could have felt hollow and empty. Especially because, you know, with Stoic dying in How to Train Your Dragon 2. You know, getting to see him again was a beautiful thing. And, you know, every time I remember that Gerard Butler plays Stoic Alec, that just kind of blows blows my mind a bit but um i don't know i just don't see him being in a kid's film like that just feels weird to me but it works but you know getting to see a character that has passed through flashback and who is not only passed but who is now giving us new information for the series to reach its finality it can feel like a bit of a cheat like we should have heard about the hidden world earlier if this was something that Stoic was obsessed with, why didn't we hear him mention it throughout all of the threads, especially in the series? But the way that it works out, because the people of Burke had gotten so used to living with their dragons, and because they loved having them and were building this new society that they really did believe they could spread so that humans and dragons could live together. The idea that the threat is only growing and that people are not worthy, I guess, of having something as wonderful and magical as dragons in their life. Because that's kind of how it ends, is that the dragons are now safe and maybe one day we will find a way to stop fighting amongst each other 
so that we can have the dragons back. Because that is kind of the lesson that they learn over the series is that people are so busy fighting amongst themselves and fighting over old hatreds with the dragons that as long as they are in the world, someone is going to want to use them as a weapon. Someone is going to want to use them for advantage. And that's the important phrase there. Somebody is going to want to use them. And they are intelligent, sentient beings. They're they're characters with their own wants and wishes and ambitions and desires. And for anyone to use them and to put them down and to subjugate them, there really is, especially throughout the the series, this constant theme that controlling the dragons in the way that a lot of the dragon um, masters are is slavery. And that that is the difference between how Burke deals with their dragons, where they see the dragons almost as equals and the dragon chooses the writer as much as the writer chooses the dragon. The dragon can say no. That idea of freedom and liberty is baked into the series so that when such an existential threat rises up and after all these years of having to fight the same type of threat where people are kidnapping and enslaving these magnificent creatures there really was no option left for them but to hide them but to find a place where they could be alone, where they could be away from danger. And it was such a logical conclusion to the series. And I kind of hope it was a logical conclusion to the series. I mean, I can see how they left the door open to maybe one day we will be worthy, where you could do some later day, you know, how to train your dragon series with new characters and new adventures and whatnot. And I don't fault. I I really don't. I don't fault DreamWorks at all in wanting to leave that door open, even in the slightest, because, well, you know, this series has made them money and it has been very popular for them. The idea of utter and complete finality would be a scary thing to okay and green light at a corporate level. But the film itself had some, such a sense of finality to it that I, I kind of hope, at least for a while, that they give it a rest for a while so that people can enjoy this story arc from beginning to end and just really relish watching these characters grow up. Because that has to be one of the most beautiful things about this series is how over the years and over the films, we have not only seen these characters mature and come into their own and find those things that make them special. Though I do wish the tough nut and rough nut that were, they, they to me are the weakest part of the movie, mainly because in Race to the Edge, I feel like they developed so much more as characters, as devotees of the god Loki. I I just really feel like they became so much 
more than they were in the films. And I, I do wish that that was reflected more in the story that we got. There were also some characters from the TV series that I kind of wish that they would have found ways to include, even in passing in the background in the movies that I would have loved to have seen, but okay. I, I mean, I'm not going to complain about that too much, but it would have been nice. <laughs> All of that said though, watching Hiccup and Fish Legs and, you know, Rough and Tough and Snot Lout and, you know, all of these characters grow and mature and change. And to see the animators have to take all of that into account as they're figuring out what these characters are going to look like, how they're going to grow up, you know, tough nuts, <laughs> just obsession with having a beard, even though he doesn't have a beard and can't grow a beard yet. So he <laughs> has his hair braided and tied under his chin to make it look like he has a beard. That is so stupid and it's so funny and it's so completely something that Tough Nut would do. Anyone familiar with this character? Yeah, yeah, that that's tough. That That's definitely, definitely what Tough would have done. That, yes, <laughs> I'm totally down for that. That worked. That, that was wonderful. Um, the whole series though, and this is something that I'm desperately trying to remember because, um, David Tennant is still listed as having played Spite Lout in this movie. I don't remember Spite Lout being in it though. I, I may have just missed him. It may have been a shorter moment. It's probably one of the Burke or new Burke moments, probably in one of the council things. But um, Spite Lout, for those of you who don't know and are listening to this anyway, is uh, Snotlout's father. And a very interesting character in his own right, who gets a couple, you know, you know, main things. Kit Harrington was interested in, in this film. Pretty much all of the actors, just, they, they didn't phone it in. And that also is something that I feel like has to be noted when talking about this, because this is the third film in the franchise. Many of them came back to reprise their roles for the animated series. So they've played these characters for quite some time and really could have just phoned it in and not brought their A game to it. But they didn't. And especially just the relationships between, you know, Volca and Astrid and Hiccup and you know, it just it really could have fallen flat on several occasions the way that they were putting the story together if the voice acting hadn't matched what they were trying to do then it, it really could have fallen apart but they they did a good job getting the characters right and it's not that I expected them to just phone it in or anything, but I, I've watched a lot of animated series over the day, over the, over the years, and you can kind of see, especially with like the Toy Story movies, which is kind of one of the things that worries me a bit about Toy Story Four, is you know in 
Toy Story 1, you can see them really working on the characters. Several of the actors, I'm not going to name names, but you know who they are, Tim Allen, kind of phoned in to Toy Story 2 and, I think, to a great extent, Toy Story 3. Um, Tom Hanks, you know, didn't quite feel on his A-game in Toy Story 3, even though it was a good movie. But you see that over time with characters and actors who have played them for a while. They've gotten to a point where they're so comfortable playing the character that a lot of times they just stop putting the effort in to, you know, uncover how the character would really be feeling. They just kind of just do it. And it doesn't always match the intensity or the feel that you think that the character should have in a given scene. They didn't do that in this movie. And they could have. They really could have. I mean, I don't know what Kristen Wiig did to her voice for Tough. You know, when she was playing Rough Nut. But it, I actually looked up to see if it was still her. Because it made sense that that's what Rough Nut sounded like. It worked really well. I enjoyed it. But it didn't sound like Kristen Wiig. And that's a good thing. Like, she dug into herself and found a way to play this character to make it work and that's not something that they had to do and I think that's true with most of the actors in this especially because the humor in the series can be so silly that if you don't if you don't do the voice acting right like the visuals we'll talk about those in a minute but if the voice acting and sound work doesn't sell the intense moments, then the whole thing would end up feeling rather silly. And the beauty of this entire series has been how it has found a way to be so silly and just childishly silly, juvenile in its humor, and have very serious moments with very serious stakes and very serious outcomes to certain elements of its story. That, for me at least, feels like a nearly impossible path to walk, to make it feel coherent in one story, to be able to have those light, silly humor moments and the really dark personal moments. And this series has found a way consistently over the years to pull it off and that 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 is an accomplishment you know I, I i don't think it's a stretch for anybody who knows me or has listened to this podcast for a while for me to say that i'm a huge fan of the how to train your dragon series but i don't think that that blinded me in watching this film the animation work. This is another place where DreamWorks really could have rested on its laurels because yeah, Pixar has been doing some nifty things when it comes to visuals, but I mean they they haven't done any huge advancements really and Illumination makes Illumination films. <laughs> so, eh. Though I am curious to see what they do with Mario. So, I mean, they really didn't have to push as hard as they did in this film to make it look as beautiful as it does. 
I mean, if they would have used the same rendering technology that they did for How to Train Your Dragon 2, I, I don't think too many people would have complained because that's that movie still looked good and still looks good. But they really pushed it. And the soft glow effects that they have for the candle lighting and the fire lighting were breathtaking. And the cave, oh my goodness, when they finally get into the hidden world and we get to see the dragons lighting up with that kind of phosphorescent light. Oh my goodness, it was stunning. It was breathtaking. And it was gorgeous in a way that this series has never been, and in a way that I've never seen a DreamWorks movie really go for. This really felt like they wanted to make a statement with this film that, no, 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 we can do beautiful, breathtaking, important, fun, and humorous story all at the same time. Like, they really... This is the... Oh, I hate to say this. I really hate to say this, but this movie in a lot of ways was closer to, if you will, the Pixar standard than any of the other animation studios out there. And for those of you who may be new to the podcast, when I say the Pixar standard, you know, a bad Pixar movie would be a five-star, just a brilliant illumination film. You know, they... Even, I mean, think about it. Compare Cars 2, for as much as it's hated, to Sing. I mean, really, which one of those is better? You know? Just, that that's, you know, the, you know, the secret life of pets, you know? When you compare it to, compare even the bad Pixar movies to a lot of the other studios, they're, they would be gems if they came out from any of those other places. And that's kind of astounding. But, you know, that emotional core to the story is something that every Pixar movie has and is kind of the heart of what makes a Pixar movie a Pixar movie. It's the stunning animation and just that powerful, heartfelt story. I mean, it's one of those things that makes even The Good Dinosaur a phenomenal film, even though... As a Pixar movie, yeah, it's not one of their best and probably one of the lowest ones on my list. But the animation is so stunning stunning, and the story is good. And like I said, if that was a DreamWorks or an Illumination film, it would be one of the best movies that they had made. And this movie felt up to that to that standard like this i i you know i hate to judge everything by pixar but pixar has done such a good job at making films that you know it's hard not to use them as a measuring stick and this movie really felt up to that standard and a little bit beyond because it didn't feel maudlin for the sake of maudlin like it wasn't hitting beats because it needed to hit them so that the audience had the proper response it hit the beats that it hit because the characters and the story demanded it. And that's a beautiful thing to see. If you haven't seen How to Train Your Dragon the Lost World, definitely check it out. It is such a good movie. It is such a good movie. And while, yes, watching everything that led up to it is 
makes it even better. But I, I think it's a movie that you could enjoy all on, all on its own, which is why it didn't get a number. It's not How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World. It's just How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. It's a story about growing up and learning to let go. And it's a wonderful film. So, yeah. If you like this podcast and you haven't already rated it, please do so. That helps me out a bit. Quite a bit. If you have a buck you can throw my way, in the show notes you'll see a link to community support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 a month levels. That money helps me do everything that I do, and thank you to everybody who helps out with that. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear me discuss on the show, you can hit me up on Twitter, probably the easiest place to find me. I'm there way too much. I'm C.E. Dorset on Twitter. Or you can download the Anchor app, follow Project Shadow, and click the voice message button. You can send me a voice message. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show. And we can make this much more our podcast. And I think that would be an awesome and cool thing. Yeah, lots going on right now. I just started writing book three in the Mask of the Gods series. Book one is currently (laughs) coming out in the podcast and is out at Amazon. Thank you to everybody who's been buying the book and showing your support that way. It really does mean the world to me, and I hope you're enjoying the book. It, it, I, I love the series so much, and I hope you all do too. You can find it, of course, by just searching Mask of the Gods in your favorite podcasting app, or go to maskofthegods.com. I think that's it. So, until next time, don't forget... Have the fun. Bye.